Hey, you like making great money, right? Here's a really cool opportunity I had to share with you. Driving with Uber. Uber's that popular smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. I take Uber a bunch. I love them. And in chatting with the different drivers, some of them have really interesting stories as to why they drive with Uber. They love being their own boss. They earn great money. It's easy to start, and they just need a car and a license. Driving with Uber is great for anyone who needs flexibility. Parents, this is a really easy way to work around your family's busy schedule. Students, you can make some extra money between classes. Now's the prime time to cash in on driving with Uber. You'll thank me for telling you how to get paid every week. Hey, you never know, I could be getting into your car when you drive with Uber. You've got a car and a license? Put them both to work for you and start earning serious, life-changing money today. Sign up to drive with Uber. Visit drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. Let's play. Beautiful for spacious skies. Greetings from West Yellowstone, Montana. Yep. Where the hell? Where the hell's Waldo at? Uh, Waldo, Dido, whatever you want to call me. I'm in uh, in West Yellowstone, Montana, with the family, experiencing the majesty of the United States of America. All right, this is, uh, this is the Northwest, not Pacific Northwest, the Northwest. Been here many times. And it's a place you wouldn't think a, a dazzling urbanite like myself would uh, be comfortable in. But I got my cowboy hat. I got my boots. I got my big-ass knife, which I just bought at this really cool Pioneer Rendezvous. Huge. Oh, yeah, shut up, all right? If I need anything, information from you, computer, I'll ask for it. Um, I had a big-ass knife, and I am enjoying the hell out of this part of the country. Um, my family and I have come. Well, actually, my wife and I and parts of my family have come here often. We have really good friends, uh, the Man Oldroyd family, um, who uh, run a great Hotel, motel, whatever, just outside Yellowstone. Uh, no, I get nothing from this other than this is just a genuine, this is a share. Okay, it's called Hibernation Station. Really just custom-built log cabin cottages that are just awesome in this awesome town. And uh, so many people, the place is always like sold out. So I mean, Oprah's been here and uh, not that that's the be-all and end-all, but you know, she, she seems pretty elitist. Um, they've had, you know, uh, Arabian uh, sheiks and all kinds of dignitaries stay here. And it's, I mean, it's really rustic, but in a cool way, you know, and it's in Yellowstone. And for those of you who have not visited Yellowstone National Park, it is 
it, it, it seems silly to hear this rock star talking about it and waxing eloquently about Yellowstone, but it is just cool place. And but it, it's so interesting, and it you know, and, and one of the most volatile, geologically speaking, volatile places in the world. It's a super volcano. The park is. If you saw the movie 2012, you know with John Cusack, you know that 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 the volcano that is Yellowstone Park blew blows blows erupts. That's the word, um, and um, uh, brings about the end of civilization as we know it. And you know when you come here, you know oh yes, it's really wholesome and all like that. I mean, there's so many the, the volatility of our Earth is bubbling under in such a huge way. There's so many fissures and geysers and steam vents and, and uh, ju- you know, just like mounds of mud. Just uh, I can't even explain it. You can't, much of Yellowstone Park, much, you can't walk on because the th- crust is so thin, people fall, th- break through and will burn your legs off. The volatility, the it's not lava, but the, the, the hot boiling waters and steam and, and all this, uh, these poisonous gases are so close to the surface here that the, how close are they? Well, I mean, there's a book. My son Jesse was out here uh, with, his, with my grandkids, his, his children, uh, with us this time. He picked up a book in town called, um, uh, maybe it's the wrong titles, but uh, basically it's the history of deaths at Yellowstone Park. Like, it's like a million ways to die in the West. It's a million ways to die at Yellowstone Park. And the book, it was not a pamphlet, people. It was a thick-ass book. With no pictures. Talking about all the gruesome deaths that have occurred here, whether it be by wild animals. Like last week, uh, somebody was eaten by a bear. Eaten. Not mauled. The bear ate half of them and buried the other half. All right? And then kids who have wandered off uh, off of the, they have like um, a lot of boardwalks around the park for safety. Kids who have wa- wa- wandered off, fallen through the crust and burned alive or boiled alive. People have died from poison gases here. It was like, this, this is like, it's America. America, going to Yellowstone Park with the family. We got our RV and we're, I don't know what accent I'm doing here, but I'm just trying to conjure up some imagery of just something hearty and wholesome and wonderful, camping, the family and all that. And you take your family to one of the most dangerous places. It's like, it's like being in South Central. They should call this place South Central Yellowstone. But it's like, it's a, instead of gangs, you've got like packs of gray wolves. Or, you know, instead, instead of, I mean, it, it is, but it's cool in that way too. So anyway, we've been back here like five times. We have these great friends, uh, the man, Oldroyd family, uh, the late Bill Oldroyd, who was a buddy of mine who I met a number of years ago and unfortunately passed away a little over a year ago. Um, but the, our families are still very close. And I highly recommend it. It's something you must experience. I mean, I mean, and Virginia City. I, I can't believe I'm wax of going on about this, but... But yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I mouth off about things I don't like. So why shouldn't I mouth off about things I like? I mean, you know, things are pretty spread out here. It's a big sky country. And this is what this is the Purple Mountains majesty that they're talking about in the songs, you know. Um, 
And I mean, and you have to drive to get to places. You know, nothing's closer. You know, really. But uh, uh, we went to Virginia and, and Nevada City. These old West towns. Virginia, you've heard of Virginia City. It's a legendary old West town. And I mean, the real deal. And A, people are still living there. B, the buildings are still erect. Um, you know, there's still these old wooden buildings. And you know, some of them are like museum pieces. Other things are still functional. But there's Boot Hill. There's so much history there. You're walking around. And, you know, not only are you seeing places like, you know, where, you know, here five men were hung from the rafters of this building. You know, the vigilantes uh, cleaned up the city for, uh, for all the Virginianites. And here's their, their, here's their pledge to, you know, to rid this town of the outlaws. Because it was like, you know, that, it, it, classic. This is the part of the country. And I was at Sturgis as well where you go to Deadwood and stuff like that. And classic, the history of the Old West, it lives, it breathes. Here's where it was. But what really gets you is this is the late 1800s. Sounds like, you know, a million years ago, but in reality, it's a couple of generations ago where people were just like shooting each other in the streets. And what you realize also is, is, that, is that when this was going on is as the industrial age was starting to kick in. So cars were being invented. The photograph, well, you can see so many pictures of like, you know, dead Dead, uh, you know, dead, well, they called them cowboys back then. Actually, they were bad guys. Um, uh, but dead cowboys and pictures of Jesse James, the deceased Jesse James, and alive. Um, you know, there's a, te- here you are, and there's the first telephone office. So, at a time where on the East Coast and West Coast, you know, cars and telephones and cameras were starting to, you know, that things were changing, uh, you know, technology was starting to be developed, people were still being shot and hung. You know, out in the out here. So I mean, it's just to 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 walk these streets and realize how how we're, you know we feel like to think we're civilized. We are not far removed from those times, not at all. And when you're out here, it's even closer connected because you know guns and knives and living off the land and and riding horses and things like that are still very much a part of daily life. It's not something you do, like, you know, on the East and West Coast. It's something you do as a, a hobby or a pastime. We're going horse riding. Here is just like getting to work. I'm not saying there's no cars. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's not weird. It's not, I don't mean that in a negative way to people from, from here, but, but if you're living in New York, it's like an exception to the rule. Here, it's just part of the game. It's, it's, it's the rules out here. So to see somebody on a horse, no biggie. Like I said, I got my cowboy hat. They hold it for me. Minute I get at minute I land in West Yellowstone Airport, they give me my hat, put it on, and I'm there. I loves me a cowboy hat. Just doesn't read as well in L.A. It screams out of towner <laughs> or individual, one or the other. Um, so, uh, anyways, can't recommend it enough. Now, um, a few things. I'm trying to figure out what to do for this week's show. And I put it out there, uh, in, in Twitter land and asked for questions. And I got a boatload of questions from the sublime to the ridiculous. So I want to get to some of those today, but, uh, quite a few were like, interview this person, interview that person, interview me. You know, that would be, that was a popular one as well. Um, 
And, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I apologize that I haven't been able to do any interviews in the last several weeks that I've been traveling because I've been traveling. There's a few things I want to apologize for, actually, because of this traveling. One is, you know, that I haven't been able to interview people and I brought the gear to interview people. But as I said before, it just, Getting to these festivals, I thought, oh, cool, I'll be able to interview people. But, you know, it's show days. And for everybody's show days, everybody, no matter how casual you are, you've got a certain, you know, uh, pattern, a certain, you know, uh, rules you follow, things you do. And show days are kind of tough to schedule uh, interviews, unless it's after show. But it hasn't worked out. So I haven't been able to get the interviews I thought I might be able to. So I've been talking, expounding to you people about different things, different subjects, war stories, other things like that, and you've been enjoying them. Thank you for hanging in with me on this. And thank you for hanging with me with the sound. I'm listening to the shows. Yeah, I love the sound of my own voice. People say to me, Hey, what's like, what's, what's, you know, give me some pointers on how to get into radio. Like, you know, I want to get in radio. How do you, you know, what, what's, what, what's important? I said, rule one, you got to love the sound of your own voice. And they're like, what? I said, dude, you're sitting there and you're just talking you're by yourself. So A, you need to be comfortable just rambling on. With nobody responding or anybody apparently listening, even though I know there are people listening, but you, you, you know, you can, you, it, when you're on uh, terrestrial radio or even satellite, you can get the phones going, you know, so people can call in. That way, you know that they're they're listening. But for the most part, you're just talking and assuming that people are paying attention and even care. Then your ratings come in and you find out the truth. Um, the other thing is that you uh, it. it if you really want to be good at what you do, you need to listen back to what they call air checks. And that is you listen to yourself on the radio. And that can be painful. That can be painful. It can be painful to sit and listen to what you said. Especially when you're starting out and there's a lot of dope moments, you know, and wait, what? You know, moments because you realize you made no sense at all. But even after, and I've been doing radio, wow, since uh, mid-90s. So I'm, I'm, I'm a 20-year man. Is that 20 years? Something like that. Um, I still listen, especially with a new format. Like I have a radio show called The House of Hair. It's uh, nationally syndicated North, in North America, and 220 stations, weekly show. Go to houseofhaironline.com if you want to check out, find out where you can hear it locally or listen online. Um, and I used to listen to every single show I did. Uh, I'd say the first I'm over 900 shows now. I say the first five or 600 before I stopped, you know, and I was comp- confident that, okay, I'm in the zone. And now that I'm doing the podcast, same thing. I listen to the podcast. Point being, I listen to them. They sound like shit. I am so sorry. They sound like shit. I'm told it's a you know, combination. I'm not in a studio. I've got this little booth here. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's the, uh, uh, um, I don't know, the, the way it's, it's broadcast, you know, the amount of, uh, I don't even know the, the terminology. They tell me it's a result of the whole podcast thing. I'm talking to people, trying to make it better. Uh, I appreciate you suffering through the sound to listen because obviously a lot of you people are, and I do appreciate that, and, and spending time listening to me. Okay, so uh, I'm working on that, and thank you. All right, I'm going to take a break. I come back, get again some of your Twitter questions 
on Snyder Comments. Dee Snyder here for True Car. You know, I see people everywhere on their mobile phones, everywhere. So it makes sense a company like True Car would come along and create a mobile app that makes buying a new car simple and fun. I've been telling you how my apps have been helping me while I travel all over the world. Apps are just incredible. So it makes sense for a company like True Car to come along and create a mobile app that makes buying a new car simple and fun. You just download the True Car app, configure the car you want, and you can see what others actually paid for the same car. Down to your zip code. It's pretty incredible then you can lock in guaranteed savings from true car certified dealers in your area on average you'll save over three grand off msrp that's three thousand dollars off msrp incredible so save time save money and never overpay download the true car app today Welcome back to Snyder Comments. I'm D. Snyder. And, of course, you know that because you're listening to the D. Snyder's podcast. And uh, it's time now for some Twitter questions. Again, I put it out there, and I got all sorts of responses. And I chose ones that felt uh, felt like I could have something to say about. Others, well, you'll know those when you see it. So let's start out right off the bat with a uh, tweet from uh, Jason Hajar, who just wrote um, Rowdy Roddy. And uh, say no more, say no more. Rowdy, Ro- Rowdy Roddy Piper, legendary uh, wrestler from the WWF, now WWE, um, passed away this past week. As did Dusty Rhodes, um, but I, I have, um, I believe it's Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, uh, I um, don't have a lot to say about Dusty Rhodes, but I do have something to say about Rowdy Roddy, who died my age. Uh, so that's always a little disturbing. You know, when you see people who seem, I, I finally met, uh, Roddy, uh, at a convention last year. It was great to meet him because we've sort of, we've, we've appreciated, respect each other and known each other from afar. Uh, and he, for those who are not wrestling fans, you know, if you've watched any wrestling, they've got these, they, they, they call, I call them raps. They've got a word for it, but where they get up and they talk before the wrestling match. Row, Rowdy Roddy Piper was not one of the biggest guys in the world physically, uh, the most intimidating guys in the world physically, but man, could he talk. He could just fire it up, you know, and he, I, th- I think that he changed the game. When it came to that, you know, that talking, that we might call it a shit talking or whatever you want to call it before the matches and after the matches, he just changed the game. But my connection with Rowdy Roddy goes back to the rock and wrestling days, the housing on days of the 80s, when Cindy Lauper in her video had, uh, had Lou Albano, Captain Lou Albano as playing her father. She was a big wrestling fan and it kind of, Turned a lot of people. Cindy brought a lot of people back to wrestling. And wrestling was going through a rebirth. Oh, by the way, a testament to where I am broadcasting from in Yellowstone Park. I'm actually sitting in a log cabin in a rocking chair with my recording equipment on a wood. When I say wood table, I mean it's like made out of a log. So I am in it. I'm in country, people. Um, So... Going back to the 80s with Cindy, the rock and wrestling connection uh, really elevated 
wrestling elevated whatever but it renewed interest in wrestling it took it to another level i remember twisted we travel around the country our tour bus watching because we didn't have satellite then watching videotapes of uh yeah videotapes people i'm old uh of uh wrestling matches to keep up to date with what was going on we were totally down with it all the different leagues all over the country so things came to uh uh, uh, the rock and wrestling thing came to a peak. MTV really bought in. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a whole rock and wrestling uh, uh, extravaganza. I don't know if it, was, if it was an event or if it was just like a week or a weekend or just a way to hype it all up. Um, I don't remember the exact deal with it. But they were interviewing wrestlers and rockers about the situation. Well, Rowdy Roddy Piper uh does, a, does a, a rant. And in it, he basically describes me. And he's like, I see these, these guys with wearing, wearing costumes of big curly blonde hair and women's makeup on, and it makes me sick. And blah, blah. And he's like, he's trash talking me. Essentially, you're using me as an example of the whole glam hair metal thing that was going on back then. Well, then they asked me for an interview. Now, as you know, I'm not a little guy. I am often in airports where people can't figure out, they know who I am, they can't figure out I'm somebody. I often ask me if I'm a professional wrestler because I kind of evoke with my size and my muscularity and my attitude. So you're either a rock star or you're a professional wrestler when you're as big as me. So um, so they asked me to, to, to interview and I do a response to Rowdy Roddy Piper's comments. And I have them shooting, shooting. I'm, I'm big, but you know, I'm wearing platform shoes. But I have them shoot down low, and I'm sitting down. And I'll rowdy, rowdy Piper, and said, I hear you talking about guys wearing makeup and women's clothing and blah blah blah. And you're saying this and that and talking about us and I'm, you know, trash talking us. And I'm obviously I'm quoting his words, which I don't remember at this point. Um, and I said. Well, I ain't no little guy, and I stand up, you know, and they're, they're shooting me from down below. And now I'm just, like, towering, and I'm big, and I've got muscles, and, and I'm angry as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And I look at Rowdy Roddy Piper, anytime, any place, you and me, let's do this. Right? So I throw it out there. Obviously, there's no fight set up. They, you know, there's not, not going to put a, a rock star in the ring with a professional wrestler. Uh, as fake as wrestling may be, these guys are stuntmen, essentially, trained stuntmen. And uh, they put their bodies in harm's way. I'm not ready to go down that path. So, cut to Grammy Awards, 1980, I'm guessing it's 84, 85. Uh, maybe the very beginning, whenever the Grammy Awards are held. And I'm a presenter on the awards. Backstage, I run into to Cindy Lauper, who I knew from New York. She used to be in a band that, that played the same clubs as Twisted Sister. We both went to uh, Katie Agresta, a uh, voice coach. Uh, we used to cross paths. You know, she'd be going to a lesson. I'd be coming from a lesson, that kind of thing. So we've always known each other. And now both of our careers have taken off. Which is kind of cool because, you know, we were back in the clubs together. We'd see each other, see each other. And, and when we were, you know, going for voice lessons, we're still dreaming of making it big. And now here it is, 1984, and we've exploded. The two of us are stars, you know? So, um, Hulk Hogan is presenting an award with Cindy. And I run into Hulk and Cindy backstage. And Hulk goes deep, big, 
Twisted Sister fan, used to come see you guys all the time. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I'd remember like a seven-foot gigantic dude with glowing blonde hair, you know, uh, and, and, and tan in the crowd. Uh, and Hulk explains, well, I used to just be a skinny beanpole bass player in Connecticut in a local band. So, and my hair wasn't this blonde and, you know, you, I just was a tall guy. So you wouldn't have known me for anything. And I said, well, what happened with you? And he said, well, I was in a club, you know, playing, and I got in a bar fight with a pro wrestler because WWE is based in New Haven, Connecticut. Hulk Hogan was working the Connecticut area. I don't know if he's from there originally, but that's where he was playing clubs. And after the fight, him and the, uh, you know, him and the wrestler kissed and made up, which means had a drink together. And the wrestler said, man, you know, it's pretty good moves there, dude. You should think about being a, a pro wrestler. So Hulk says, uh, well, you know, uh, he says, but I don't know. I'm too skinny. He goes, well, you got to bulk up, but you know, you could be good. So Hulk tells me that he starts carrying weights around in the band equipment van. So after they load in, he sits in the back room and he's like doing curls. He's building up his, his body backstage. And then he gets big enough and blah, blah, blah. The rest is kind of, if you're into wrestling, you know, Hulkamania, you know, going wild. Um, so he said, listen, I'm wrestling at the Long Beach Arena tonight. Do you want to come down and check? You want to come down and uh, hang? I'm like, yeah, awesome. Let's do that. After the Grammys, I, I'm not hanging out for the Grammy party. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even sit in the audience. I'm metal, you know, I mean, just being at the Grammys. I thought that was, you know, basically metal's first inroad into the Grammys was me being asked to be a presenter. We didn't have a category, but I like to think that it started opening the door there, and it was just what I was trying to do because we are deserving of recognition. So after the show, my bodyguard, back then I have a bodyguard. You remember with the bodyguard and the – after I jumped off the stage and I attacked the guy in the audience, my, my management got me a, bo- a bodyguard to protect me, to protect you from me because I was going after people. Um, we go to the Long Beach Arena. We pull up backstage. We're met, you know, and like, okay, uh, we go in. Great. Walk in the back door and there's a phalanx, a phalanx of security people surround me. I go, wow, how cool. I'm just going backstage to see Hulk. And uh, I've got my own bodyguard, and but I'm so important, obviously, it's the 80s, that, uh, that I'm worthy of a phalanx of security to take me to the dressing room. Great. We start walking. All of a sudden, I notice we're cutting through a uh, hallway, and all of a sudden, we are in the arena. They are taking me through the center of the arena, packed, wall to wall. Match is going on. If you've ever been to a wrestling match or watched it, it's pandemonium. Well, imagine D. Snyder circa 1984, larger than life, surrounded by, I'd say, a dozen security people, comes marching into the arena in the middle of a match. The audience reaction is so huge. The wrestlers stop wrestling to see what's going on. Like when you're in the center of attention, you know what's going on. When the center of attention is suddenly shifted to the other end of the arena, you were aware that cheering's not up front. It's coming from in a distance. It, and in the rink, it's it's tag team match. I don't remember everybody in there. I remember Junkyard Dog and Rowdy Roddy Piper. 
my nemesis. So I'm going, where are they taking me? Are they marching me like through the arena? And people are going nuts. You know, these Snyders just walked into the arena. And this is WWF. Back then it was WWF. You know, they're, they're always full of surprises. So if I'm in the audience, I'm going, holy crap, what's going on here? They bring me right down and sit me front row center, well, ringside at the match. And they sit me there. And and I, and in retrospect, I realized they basically said, "Hey, we got a star here. Let's let's you know, let's at least show him off a little bit and just enhance and, and enhance our image or whatever just by having and look who's you know who's ringside. D. Snyder's there. You know, I'm sure there was a commentary or something about that. Well, I'm sitting ringside. I'm watching the match, and at some point in the match, Rowdy Roddy Piper is beating the life out of Junkyard Dog. And things are looking bad. Junkyard is down for the count, and Rowdy, Rowdy Roddy Piper is raining blows down upon him. You know, those wonderful elbows and, you know, things like that. And people are counting him. 11, 12. And watching this going on, and some kid runs over to me. Now, mind you, this is before they came clean and said that it's, you know, that it's entertainment. Back then, they were actually, uh, back in the 80s, they were still saying it was real what was going on. This kid runs up to me. He's like 14 years old and with the most pleading look on his face, D, get in there and save him. Like, seriously? I'm like, oh, the kid's like, and everybody's looking like, yeah, D, now's your shot. Get in there. Beat Roddy, beat Roddy Rowdy Piper up in the ring. I'm like, no, no, get me the hell out of here. Which they did shortly and went back and hung out with Hulk. But very, but to see that look on that kid's face, he was, he wasn't kidding. He really thought that I was going to go in there and save the day. Which in retrospect, you know, I could have picked up a chair and just started beating the piss out of Rowdy Roddy Piper. That would have been cool. But I don't know the technique. So I actually would have beaten him to death with a chair, which probably would not be acceptable. So that's my Rowdy Roddy story in memory of Rowdy Roddy Piper, one of the great wrestlers, one of the legends, and one of the best man hype men. This guy could talk, and I, and I respect anyone who could fire people up and get people going. And, 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 you know, he had more than just his physical body to bring to the table, but he had his brain and his sharpness. So, uh, Rest in peace, Roddy. All right. So uh, next question comes from, uh, that looks like it says, Niall Radford. Okay. And it says, um, the price of fish, please. You know, I'm glad you brought this up, Niall. Uh, the price of fish, because what the hell are you talking about? It's, I'm sure this is just, you know, a silly abstract question. Very good. Price of fish. Got nothing to say about that. But I get these occasionally. I brought that as a sample of the wonderful things. Now, SMF friend, uh, and that's what he lists himself at. SMF is uh, the Twisted Sister has fan clubs. Fans were called SMFs. So for sick motherfuckers. Okay. I just And it, a little history on the sick motherfucker thing. We called our fans sick motherfuckers. We called ourselves SMFs because that's what outsiders refer to us as. They would say in a derogatory sense, all the Johnny Bravos of the disco era, and that's when we started out, would say, 
look at that sick motherfucker over there. Like it was a, like what we were doing was wrong. What we were doing was bad. So I said, you know what? If we're sick motherfuckers and you're uh, that I'm happy to be an SMF because if not being an SMF is being what you are, I'd rather be dead, Johnny Bravo. I'd rather be dead than live the life you live. So we took the, the, the negative connotation of being a sick motherfucker uh, and made it our battle cry, the SMFs. Where are the SMFs? And, and our fans knew they were the SMFs. So SMF Friends was obviously one of those. And there's a song on the Stay Hungry album called SMF. Uh, and it doesn't stand for super mega fan. Now you know. Um, uh, anyway, uh, is, that's a song about our fans. He said, the talk about personal stuff, telling uh, your kids about your career, talking about your brothers and sister, mom, dad, why you moved to Las Vegas. I don't think that's generally interesting enough, SMF friend. I mean, you know, um, I'm sure it is to some people, um, and, you know, and I've talked about a lot of that stuff in my book, uh, Shut Up and Give Me the Mic, and I think the sales, lack of sales on that book, reflect the interest in my normal life. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've got no uh, sex or drug stories to talk about, and I thought people would would welcome a story about with you know with a well written book that shared real insights into uh, people's lives and motivations and drive and experiences and life lessons and things like that. And while there were quite a few people who did like it, uh, you know. It didn't beat out Nikki Six's, you know, heroin diaries, uh, you know, diaries written by a heroin addict, um, you know. So uh, I, I, I can't be, I can't top that. So um, I'm not going to talk about my personal stuff. It pops in from time to time, and you just have to pick up little nuggets here and there uh, because uh, I'm not, I don't want to put people to sleep. All right, uh, here we go. We got one here from where are you? Ah, Jennifer Wadenstorer. Here's the actual whole, whole name on here. Jennifer Wadenstor. Uh, what are your thoughts on Steven Tyler doing a country album? Have you ever listened to country? <laughs> Funny you should mention that. I do have some thoughts about it. First of all, as far as me and country, um, I always hated country music. Uh, I did not understand it, did not get it. And then I did a show called Gone Country a reality show. It was kind of a big brother situation. It was a few years ago um, where they took seven, well, it was supposed to be seven singers or six. Well, I'll go through the numbers and you could do the math, okay? I was told there'd be no math. And we were moved into a log cabin mansion in Nashville. Okay, Barbara Mandrell had the biggest log cabin in the world built, 40,000 square feet. So you think in log cabin, think a hotel, log hotel. It's the, this thing was opulent in a log cabin way. And uh, John Rich and company had bought it from her, and they used it for the, um, the living quarters for us. And we lived there for two weeks. Was it two weeks? It was a long time. Uh, at least a week, maybe two weeks, uh, in, in a Big Brother style. House is rigged with cameras. We've got no, our, our cell phones, or we, we had to give up our cell phones, give up, uh, the only phone they had was a phone that was wired, was, you know, being recorded. 
No television, no newspapers, no books. They wanted us to interact. And it was me, Bobby Brown, yes, that Bobby Brown, who was my who was my roommate, Cisco, thong, 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 Cisco, and Julio Iglesias Jr., along with um, Carrie Wilson, uh, Carney Wilson, Diana DeGarmo from American Idol. Um, oh, who else was there? Uh, I'm losing track of one of the women. Uh, or maybe there wasn't a third. Maybe there were seven of us, right? There wasn't four women. Oh, and the third one was Marsha, 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 Maureen McCormick. I don't know what she was doing there. She's an actress, but she always wanted to be a singer, apparently, so they put her in the mix. So it was the seven of us living in this house in Nashville, and the and the thing was they were going to teach us to be country, what it was like to be country. And the uh, and and we would be experienced during two weeks. We would have to the person who became the most countrified, the person who you know who got it, would be win the ring, having gone country. All right. So during our time there, well, a few things happened. One, they found out I hate country music. That. Was a pretty interesting moment. In uh, we're sitting around having dinner the first night. John Rich is there. John Rich, great guy, you know him from Celebrity Apprentice, big and rich. He's hosting the show. He's talking to each of us, and then each of us has a chance to talk. You know what we're doing there and what our purpose are. And, and when I say I don't like country music, you could hear pickup tri- truck brakes locking up for miles around. I mean, the my the people, other people at the table were looking, going. Oh my God, I can't believe this dude just said this to John Rich in Nashville, but I'm, I'm telling the truth. You know, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I said, but I am willing to learn, which I was, you know. So John thought I, John Rich thought I was insane. He couldn't believe I was saying this to his face. What am I going to lie? So uh, that's, that's not my style. Um, so we had to do a, ser- a series of things that would lead up to a big finale where we performed in a country uh, honky-tonk. I'm trying to remember the name of the place. It'll come to me in a second. Um, where we performed an original country song we had written with country songwriters. That was the final competition. In the meantime, we, you know, we, we were shoveling horse shit on, uh, on, on farms. We were shooting uh, skeet. Uh, we were we were um, doing charity work. We were going to the nudie uh, shop and getting clothes, costumes, so we look country. Uh, we were what else were we doing? We were eating country. Uh, we worked in a car wash. We were just like connecting on every level with the country roots, you know. And and it was a pretty you know riding quads uh, in, in in you know in the mud, you know. And it was fun, you know. I I mean. I dug every single aspect of the country life. I'm totally comfortable with it. I fit, you know, it was a comfortable fit for me. Music, eh, that that was where the rub. But I learned that to say I hate country music is like saying I hate it's like saying I love all rock and roll. I don't love all rock and roll. It's a lot of rock I hate. Okay, I like specific types of rock and roll. Well, on my part, it was a, a huge overgeneralization to say I, I don't like country when there's so many different types of country. 
And it turned out I didn't like, you know, the real Loretta Lenny Conway Twitty Twangy Country, but I love the hell raising Hank Williams Jr. Higher end of a football and Gretchen Wilson and Big and Rich. Hell raising country. I'm like, hell, that's got my name all hell, literally. Hell, that's got my name all over it. I'm down with that. So I was, you know, once I found my comfort zone, I was in with that. Now, as far as Steven Tyler doing a country album, Steven is just following in the pattern of a long line of rock singers who have gravitated to doing country music. You've seen a lot of them. I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, so many. I mean, Robert Plant's done country. Uh, um, uh, Brett Michaels just did country record. Um, there's, you know, there's so many. A uh, kid rock, of course. So many rockers who have gone country, and. I think it's I think it's a couple of reasons. One, they discover that old style classic rock and roll still is alive and well, absorbed by the newer country bands. When I hear these newer country bands, when I see them do their live shows, it's just an '80s rock show, truly in, infused with '80s rock style. They're singing lower octave. They're all singing down here and down, blah, 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 blah. But musically, it's an 80s. It's 80s. I remember I was at Sturgis one, one year and I'm um, you know, camping out in the VIP area at the bu- legendary Buffalo Chip campgrounds in Buffalo, South, Buffalo Chip, South Dakota. Highly recommend it, by the way. And some big country star is also there who's performing because at the Buffalo Chip, they have rock, they'll have country. They'll have, you know, the classic rock, you know, hair metal. They, they mix it up. And um, they were uh, camping up there. I can't remember which band. I wish I knew which band. Just know it was a contemporary big country artist. And in the middle of the night, I'm woken up to screaming Scorpions, followed by ACDC, followed by Motley Crue. And I'm, it's like 3 in the morning. Yeah, I'm trying to sleep. You know, I like riding out there, and they and they are partying to '80s rock, and I finally can't take it anymore. And I throw open the window in my my van. I scream out, "You know, when we party, we don't listen to your shit. We don't. We're not putting on country music. Why? We we we're rockers. We rock. Okay. I mean, but they're listening to '80s rock, so." The influences are there, and it's kind. Of, and then when you look at at the record scene, there's actually people who are buying albums in the country scene. It's still records are being sold, and music's being sold, and and you know, and people are paying for it. So the rockers are going. Wait a second. It's kind of the music kind of draws on where I'm from. And maybe some of them even like some of like it. You know, they're not like me. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll give them a benefit of the doubt. Say they all like country. So they're, they're all, the music scene down there is already like leaning toward classic rock and 80s rock. And but with the big rock show. And people are buying records there. People are paying for it. Well, why the hell don't I do a me a country album? Yeah, maybe I'll do me a country album. So I think that it's a nice business move on their part. And some people have really successfully done it. Kid Rock has had great success there. I mean, Bon Jovi's tried to do it. I don't know if he's had success. Um, I don't know the degrees of success. Uh, what's his name? Uh, um, 
Darren, uh, the guy from Hootie and the Blowfish, he completely moved over to country, which is a perfect move for him. His voice works great down there. He wasn't really a hard rocker anyway, so it was, it was, that was a natural thing for him to do. So God bless anybody who's down there doing it. Am I going to do it? No, too easy. I'm actually trying to, working with a top songwriter named Damon Ranger, trying to do new rock music that will have appeal to a modern and a more popular audience that will actually cross over to mainstream radio. As a heritage artist now, there's people, these songwriting people think that Dee Snyder can be uh, introduced because I'm known, so people know me, but by getting the right songs, they've got the right attitude, yet they're still, you know, uh, commercial enough that people can get it. They're trying to create some music for me to reach out to a new audience, a wider audience, to go going the other way. So all my peers are going to country, and I'm looking to go a little more mainstream. Now, some of you may be going, throwing up or whatever, but to me, I like the challenge. It was like doing the D Does Broadway record. It was like, well, why the hell not? You know, why the hell not? Let's try that. So if if people are out there who I can engage playing music that I that I don't not like, I won't play stuff I don't like. It's got I've got a, the song and the song has to speak to me. And the stuff that I've been recording, uh, which you'll probably be hearing in you know months or maybe next year sometime, I think 2016, um, I can stand behind every song. Because I've always been about melody. You know, people here, we're not going to take it. You know, they go, I mean, melodies don't get bigger than that. So uh, I'm trying, so a lot of the songs I'm working on have anthemic feel to them, sort of a stadium feel. You know, think Queen. You know, we are the champions, like big, bombastic, you know, rock anthems, melodic with. Uh, you know, broad appeal and a hard rock edge. That's kind of where I'm going. So uh, you can look forward to that, or you can be run screaming from that uh, in 2016. All right, that's my thoughts on the country thing. I'm going to take a little break here. I have more questions coming up. Uh, and one of them in particular, uh, people are asking me about who I'm backing for president. Uh, and with my buddy Donald Trump, who I am not endorsing, uh, and I kind of uh, I love him, but I've kind of looked with my eye, like looking at a car wreck, going, "What the hell are you doing, man?" I mean, the guy's a wild man. He, he's brutally honest to a core to a fault, uh, but uh, at the same time, I don't uh, I'm not supporting him. Uh, but uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. That was one of the questions when I return with more Snyder comments. New York City. 1960s. Prostitution, illegal gambling, and after-hours clubs were part of the scene. It was called Fun City since everyone was having a good time and no one was getting hurt. The gangsters were making money and the cops were taking a cut. Enter the Public Morals Division. They were the city's landlords. If you wanted to be in business, you had to pay the rent. But the younger generation of mobsters was coming of age and these guys wanted more money, more power, more respect. 
The line that separated the good guys from the bad was about to snap. It's New York like you've never seen it and a story that's never been told. From creator Edward Burns, don't miss the series premiere of TNT's Public Morals. Tuesday, August 25th at 10, 9 central, only on TNT. Hey, Snyder Comments listeners, I just want to take a minute to thank all my great sponsors and all of you great listeners for supporting my sponsors and this podcast. All of your contributions help make this show possible. And I wanted to remind you that you could support my sponsors by going to my show page at podcastone.com, clicking on the support this podcast banner, and there you'll see all my wonderful sponsors that help keep the lights on. In addition to my sponsors, you can also support the podcast by using my Amazon banner. Amazon offers this show a small commission on any product you purchase. You can even use my Amazon banner if you're located in Canada or the UK. Also, to make it easier for all future purchases, feel free to bookmark my Amazon URL. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to my show. Welcome back to Snyder Comments. I'm Dee Snyder, of course, and uh, this week I'm doing uh, questions from you guys sent to Twitter. By the way, uh, you know my Twitter handle's at Dee Snyder. S-N-I-D-E-R. Um, but there's also uh, Twitter for Snyder Comments, at Snyder Comments. Follow me. Follow the show. I appreciate it. Uh, and there's an uh, email, uh, SnyderComments at gmail.com. Love to hear your thoughts, your input, your compliments, whatever. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, and don't feel like you've got to agree with me. I'm not that guy. Just... Don't be a fucktard, you know. And you, th- you guys taught me that word because, because I didn't know the word existed until I was called fucktard on Twitter. Um, when I wasn't on Twitter, actually, it was Facebook. But um, you know, uh, you know, say something. Disagree with me. Spare me the insults. You know, I, I mean, it, it weakens your case. Remember that when you, when you, the minute you, you go into a personal attack in a rebuttal. You've we- completely weakened your case, and and you've and you've taken any you've, you've weakened your credibility as well. So just stay focused. Say something. Disagree. Disagree viciously, wholeheartedly, venomously, angrily, hostily. Anything you want, and I'm, I'm you know, and you'll probably want to get your your email or your tweet read on the air because uh, you've made a statement, and either I'm going to going to argue it or. And, and again, those who listen to me and know me, I'm a, a rarity in this business. I'll actually go, huh, you're right, I'm wrong. Or, wow, you've opened my eyes to something here. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I mean, you know, I'm looking to learn. The idea of, of, of just being, holding your position no matter what, that's just, that is for fucktards. And that's not me. Okay, so... um before we get to the question about president, there was a couple people, um, Jasmine St. Clair, and who's the other one here? Let's get their names. Michael Callahan. Jasmine just said uh, Strangeland, and Michael said specifically making of Strangeland. Strangeland, for those who don't know, I, I wrote, co-produced, and starred in a movie in the late 90s called Strangeland. Story of a schizophrenic sexual sadist. Uh, who lured victims into the internet. And by the way, this was not a thing back then. Um, and 
forced them to submit to tribal rituals against their will, which basically means he tortured them, pierced them, their genitals, did all kinds of effed up things. Some of the some of the tribal rituals that my character uh, put upon his victims were pretty like the, the spears of Shiva. Brutal, brutal, especially if you're not into it. Um, and it, it garnered the first film ever to receive an R rating for scenes of torture. The MPAA did not know what to do with the film. They were just mortified. And I was very careful to not – I worked with, a lot, with people's reactions more than gore, very little blood because there's not a lot of blood in piercings. Uh, and there's no death. He didn't kill his victims. There's one accidental death. He, uh, that was the whole idea. To be helpless and suffering seemed much worse to me than to be running, being chased, and maybe die. You know, I tried to, I reinvented the wheel with Strange Land and changed, uh, you know, it's recognized by most as the first of the torture genre of films. You're welcome. And, um, uh, and, and it, but it was not a very big film at the time, but it's achieved cult status over the years. And every now and then, you know, it, it's, it shows up on cable and, uh, you know, they're, fa- they're true fans of Strange Land. Uh, I do a lot of horror conventions where I meet a lot of these people who really like Captain Howdy was my, was my character. You can re- you can look that up on your own. Google that and be mystified. Uh, I remember when I showed my wife that script, she nearly had a coronary. Uh, she read it. She's about, Suzette's my first line of you know defense or offense or whatever. I said, hey, babe, we read the new script. And she comes downstairs. She goes, um, you got something you want to tell me? I'm like, uh, no, why? She goes, what the fuck is that? Who am I living? She's freaking out, freaking out. I mean, I'm mad if you if those who know the movie... Imagine you've been married to somebody and he's never showed any uh, inkling or any suggestion of an interest in this uh, demented behavior. And now he's written a script just about torturing people. So I, I just I, – I, I cooled her off quickly and I said, baby, that's, that's my nightmares, not my dreams. You understand? I'm a horror fan and movies weren't doing anything for me. So I said, well, these movies don't scare me. What scares me? And that's how I created Strangeland. And, and in those watch it, I do play the villain because I just don't have the face for the handsome lead. I am, in fact, the father, the cop. Inspiration for this movie came from a couple of songs I wrote called uh, Street Justice and Captain Howdy for, Strange, for, for Twisted Sister, which were inspired by an article I read about a guy who had done some heinous things to some young kids and got off on technicality. And, and, and with, with righteous indignation pulsing through my veins, I wrote this song about street justice, about getting this guy because that's what I would want to do as a father. You know. So anyway, I'm not Captain Howdy, even though I play Captain Howdy. So ladies... Cool your jets. I know there's a big, odd Captain uh, women out there who think Captain Howdy's hot. This is the most demented fucking character I could think of. And there's women going out there, hey, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> you want to hang out? Like, really? Seriously? <laughs> this is woman that wants to date Captain Howdy. I'm running screaming. All right? So um, I'm not going to talk about the making of the movie. That's maybe for another time. And uh, uh, just a strange land update for those who are interested. This has been on and off the sequel, Strangeland Disciple, for so many years, so many times, I just gave up hope. And recently, in the last year, I ran into a fan. Just came up to me, thanked me for 
what I'd done for him and how my music had affected him and, and, and cool as hell, just, you know, shook my hand. Thank you. And he, and he went back to his table and, um, ate his meal. And on his way out, he says, thanks again for saying hello to me. And, and a little scrap of paper, he wrote down information. He goes, and here's my contact information. If I ever do anything for you, I'm like, really? I'm in LA, the land of business cards. And you give me a torn off corner of a napkin. And I look at it. Long story short, I checked the guy out and he's, Pretty big movie producer. He's done some big films like Rambo, for example. So uh, we connected. And so I've got – my fans have always been such an amazing resource for me. And um, he is, you know, uh, hell-bent on bringing Strangeland Disciple to the screen. So we are working – we're we're working on that together. So it's very early stages of pre-production. But I'm actually – because it's fan-driven, and like I said, my fans have always been such a supporter, and he's a fan, someone I basically raised, who's now has influence and has the resources to make it happen. I'm feeling really good about it. So that's the, that's the deal with Strange and Disciple. So um, finally, I think this is finally, got a, 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 a tweet from, let's see, this guy's name here, Richard B. Freeman said, tell us who you like for president. Richard, uh, the short answer, I have not picked anybody yet. I have not decided. Um, it's too soon. Um, you know, we've got a couple Democratic candidates. We've got a thick herd of, of, uh, you know, of candidates uh, in the Republican Party. Um, and I'm a unique individual. I'm, a uni- I'm not unique, but, but uh, for a celebrity, um, I am both hailed and reviled by both sides, you can find people who applaud me as a, a liberal, as a as a liberal, uh, is it pundit? Is that the word I look for? I don't know. But a, 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 a you know Democrat and you know supportive, and then you can find people on websites will say that I am the scum of the earth, right wing garbage. Um, same goes for uh, the Republican side, the right wing side. There are those you'll find places that hail me as being, you know, a true American, and then you'll find others say I'm a commie bastard. That's because I've been wildly inconsistent in my voting pattern and unpredictable, and because I, and that comes down to one thing: I am not. I'm an independent. I don't vote party line. I think only a complete fucktard votes party line. Nobody's party is right all the time. And no candidate is right just because he's part of your party. Now, there's people who say that's the way you do it, but that is not the way I do it. And I know for a fact that's not the way most Americans do it. Most of us are struggling trying to make heads or tails and make the best decision we can, trying to just dig through the rhetoric and the, and the propaganda and the campaign ads and the you know and the news media who has a, leans one way or the other and trying to come up with something and say make some reasonable decision that makes sense for the condition our country's in the state we're in and where we're at. I have voted left. I have voted right. I have voted indie. I have voted green because at the time I thought. I was a Perot voter. I was a Clinton voter. I was a, I've, 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 you know, I've supported Giuliani and, you know, in, in a Repu- plenty of Republican uh, um, Pataki when I lived in New York. I was a McCain guy. B 
big McCain guy. I rode in the McCain honor guard on my motorcycle at Sturgis Rally. Then he picked Sarah Palin as running mate. And no, that's, all bets were off. You can't pick a fucktard to be second in command. That, that, you know, because it's, you know, we've, I don't want that person. You know, you got to have an actual real person. Okay. Uh, so the point being, I could be all over the place. I'm watching the pack right now. Do I have leanings? I can say there's one candidate who is, is impressing me. One candidate who's got my attention. One, Marco Rubio. Young, Hispanic, a person, came from nothing, worked his way up. Um, I like what he has to say. I like how he's handling himself. Um, I have one big problem with him. He's not pro-choice. And I am pro-choice to a fault. I am pro-choice. I'm pro all the amendments. I'm a gun-carrying, censorship-fighting, standing up for women's right to choose, okay, with a gun. Okay, I, I'm, I'm a real oddity. You usually don't find those things going together. You know, so, uh, and I need, I need people to respect people's rights to choose. That is the most important thing to me of all. So while Rubio is impressing me, separating himself from the pack, I have a problem with that. And anybody who's going to, anybody who's going to change a woman's right to choose, anybody wants to decide for us, for them, for my wife, for my daughter, um, and, and people who want to tell us how we should live and what we should do and, you know, and all those things, which the right has a tendency to do. I don't like that. I do not like that. I do not like people dictating to me. You know, I'll be told what I, have to, what I can do and what I can't do. I'm not, I'm not an anarchist by any means. I believe, you know, laws are so important and, and the quality of life is so important. But there's certain things, certain freedoms that need to be respected in people. And we're bringing it right back out here to Montana. I'm loving that there's this sense of freedom, that people are still connected to the land, connected to family, uh, connected to their history. And it just it just impresses the hell out of me being out here in Yellowstone. So, Richard, I'm sure at some point I will. And, you know, I don't understand why people would even give a shit. I mean, entertainers, what do we know? And I, but so many people ask me all the time. I think that I have separated myself a little bit from the pack with the entertainers in that I have shown to have a, a modicum of intelligence that uh, I try to be fair I try to be open-minded. I try to con- consider every people's feelings and, 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 and try not to be so black and white and so reactionary. So I think people are a little bit – there are people who are interested in what I have to say because they know that when I do say something, it's a considered opinion. It's something that I've thought about and I've weighed things up. And in this real world of, of shades of gray, it's not black and white people. It's shades of gray. I've, I've picked the least – gray I could find, least gray shade, and, and gone in that direction. 
time. Well, that's Twitter questions for this week. Got to a few of them. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. So until I see you next time, stay safe, stay happy, fight for your right to choose. (laughs) All right. And uh, I'll see you next time on Snyder Comments. Stay tuned for the latest AP News headlines from Podcast One right after this.